This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Thank you. It is time. Good morning. My name is Michael Yonker, and uh, I'm a PhD student from Andrews University studying theology. Uh, my special interests are related to theodicy. I'm really into uh, the issues of freedom and time and uh, what they might mean uh, in philosophy, so kind of some technical stuff, but uh, it's very important to make these issues uh, relevant for everyone and practical. Uh, and so I will be sharing a little bit about Job and uh, the Great Controversy in a, a three-part series, so you'll have to come back uh, to get more of it. Um, and then also, although in the uh, schedule, I'm scheduled to do it again, uh, I'm, at the moment I'm planning to do three separate uh, related lectures. Uh, uh, you know, afterwards for whatever, four, five, and six. So I will be addressing some other dimensions, some other angles that relate to these themes from the life of Abraham uh, and others uh, on understanding uh, who God is, or kind of our vision of Christ thing, which will emerge as, as a theme. So, um, so I will not be repeating my lectures at the moment. I'm, I'm planning to share three unique ones uh, for those of you who wish uh, to know that. Um, all right, I will have a quick word of prayer, and then uh, we will begin. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can be here at GYC where we have an opportunity to meet and share with others who are of a like-minded interest and focus and passion. We ask that your Holy Spirit will be with us this morning as we study a little bit more about the life of Job and some of the very difficult challenges and problems that the suffering of the righteous always brings to our minds. Uh, again, we ask that your spirit will be with us uh, for this uh, session and for the entire time that we are together. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Job part one. I uh, shifted the title a little bit to Without a Curtain or Dressing Room, the play as real life. Uh, if that needs a brief explanation, what I simply uh, am implying is that uh, Job, obviously, as most of us are familiar with, uh, kind of opens up with something kind of, you know, behind the scenes. It opens up with a bigger picture, uh, and I want to help us focus on why um, the play as real life is where most of us start. And so whether it's in our own lives or in the lives of those that we're trying to share with, uh, we need to kind of dig in and understand what it was really like for Job without knowing what was behind the curtain or without knowing what was going on in the dressing room of reality uh, that was shaping uh, his events. So I'm going to kind of shifted a little bit uh, our orientation. But I first want to uh, quickly note uh, Job's importance. Uh, I just wanted to open with this uh, uh, quotation from uh, the Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White, Signs of the Times. Uh, she notes that um, while Moses was preparing for his ministry, uh, he wrote the books of Genesis and Job, and uh, she implies that both of them will be of extreme interest uh, to all Christian people, all Bible-believing and reading people until the close of time. So I believe that uh, Genesis and Job together, which uh, she suggests were the uh, earliest books written, uh, are of special importance. And I'll just add some footnotes, since this is not a, uh, what I would call a scholarly uh, kind of an audience. Uh, there are challenges with uh, verifying the authenticity of the authorship of Job. It's basically impossible to prove the timing and so forth, uh, and who wrote it, Moses, but there is a strong tradition amongst uh, Jewish uh, you know, uh, readers in history that uh, Moses is a probable author. Uh, but just noting that, and I won't get into any sorts of uh, overly technical details on criti criticisms. My approach 
for sharing about Job is again to go through part one uh, without a curtain or dressing room, the play as real life. Uh, there's no, uh, no time to uh, step back and be you know, a little bit more objective about it. I want to show you life, Job's life experience without the prologue and the conclusion. That is going to come in the conclusion. So we're going to jump right into uh, the experience of Job. Uh, in part two, uh, to quickly summarize uh, the series, Friends and Foes, the Dangers of Common Sense Theology, and I'll know uh, that when I get there, I'll need to kind of explain what I mean by the dangers of common sense theology, because common sense can be very appealing. Uh, but as we see through uh, Job's friends, uh, common sense can lead us down some dangerous paths, especially when we're trying to relate it to our everyday life. So we're going to dig into some of the theological problems uh, of these dialogues uh, and why uh, they especially speak to the issues of the justice of God or theodicy. And then in part three, wisdom's recluse or revealing the veil. Uh, in this uh, part, later this afternoon, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we might shift our minds uh, to look at the questions of theodicy and Job's life in a different way. Uh, when we think about them in a, a very, I'll call it a, a skeptical uh, or atheist kind of a point of view, there are always going to be a lot of very troubling problems here. Uh, but that does not necessarily need to be the case for the Christian. Uh, and if we kind of change the way that we think about the issues that Job presents, uh, we can see God, who is wisdom's recluse, at least uh, for most of the narrative of Job, uh, a little bit differently. And we can, so to speak, reveal the veil. Uh, and I've worded that in the, you know, specifically here to kind of understand uh, what it is that's obscuring our view or our, our problems behind the situation in Job. So we'll explain a little bit about how the divine speeches, wisdom's interlude, you know, and so forth can illuminate Job's experience. All right, theodicy. Just a quick primer. It is basically the justice of God. For any of you who might not know it, it's the justice of God in the light of evil. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen that are not pleasant. Why do awful things happen? This is the question that everyone will ask in life, absolutely everyone. There is no one that skips this question. This is not a, a, uh, kind, the kind of question that uh, humans can just bypass in life uh, without ever kind of wondering about. You know, why is it that uh, awful things happen to ordinary people, uh, many of whom are flawed in their own ways, uh, but also, of course, to those that we kind of think of as better people, you know, the kind of the good people? How come? Uh, Awful things seem to happen to the good and the bad alike. Is there any rhyme or reason to it? Uh, what's God's role in all this, etc.? These kinds of questions are just uh, so prominent in our everyday experience of life uh, as we meet people that may have differing beliefs, different religions, different uh, pictures of God, etc. Uh, it's hard to hide from the disasters that. Uh, befall us. And of course, nature is involved as well. Uh, the animals, why so much suffering, pain, and death? These are questions that we all ask and wonder about. Now, I do believe that there is a rest of the story. I don't know uh, if any of you are familiar with Paul Harvey. He was a long-time uh, radio, uh, um, you know, he had a radio show, radio broadcaster, and uh, he would always tell stories, you know, uh, that were um, missing one or two important details. And then when he shared that detail, you, uh, it would connect with his audiences. Oh, yes, everyone knows this story. And kind of, you know, ah, you know now, now they understand, you know, other sides, other aspects of the story that they didn't before. And uh, so he was famous for that. And he also did have Adventist uh, connections, by the way. His wife was a Seventh-day Adventist, I understand. And uh, he was sympathetic uh, to our views uh, as well uh, later in life. Um, and so likewise, uh, I want to note that we may not always know how we are influencing others. 
uh, in our lives or what our lives mean for others and for those around us. Uh, and I think that is, of course, a perfect uh, theme or perfect tie into this year's theme before men and angels. We don't always know who's watching uh, and for what purpose. So the rest of the story can be somewhat uh, elusive to us sometimes. But before we get to the rest of the story, uh, I do want to kind of jump into Job, right into his life, what it was like to be Job and to have this situation befall him without reading first. And don't misunderstand when I say without reading first, because obviously I think that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses uh, during his time there in the wilderness to write the book of Job in the way that it was written. Okay, but I want to help us kind of, because uh, we usually, when pastors or anyone else may share on Job, most of their emphasis is usually on the first chapter. And so I want to kind of skip that uh, and look in, you know, you know, go right over that and then come back to it and see if that kind of changes the way that we're looking at uh, Job's situation and also helping us understand how other people who are not as familiar with uh, the story of Job might uh, see life and so we can kind of relate to them a little bit better. So we're going to uh, not step back and get the quote-unquote or attempt to get the big picture, but jump right in. And I, I want to mention uh, that we're already living in the pain. You know, this is something that we cannot hide from. Uh, I don't know uh, how all of you are relating to the situation of Job uh, and the suffering of the righteous. Um, right now, uh, I have to you know, just briefly share uh, my step-grandmother, uh, Ruth, uh, who became an Adventist about uh, 15 years ago. Um, uh, the last five years, she has gone through a, you know, doctors are struggling to diagnose it. Uh, you know, she converted to Adventism again about 15 years ago, and she embraced the message wholly. She embraced the message fully. Uh, she, be, you know, adjusted to the Adventist diet, did, you know, became, you know, vegan basically, and uh, completely became uh, and sold on to the Adventist understanding of reality. Uh, but then, even though she is still uh, relatively young and was in good health uh, just seven years ago, just the last five years, she has had a very steady decline where every part of her body has just begun to shut down and the doctors don't know why. And uh, she is right now uh, not doing very well and uh, may not live much longer. And it's, it's a mystery. You know, for my grandfather, it's, it's very difficult for him. Uh, you know, he had to been an Adventist in his younger life and then had left and then had come back uh, with, with her uh, into the faith. And uh, this is, is a, it's a great struggle. You know, he's, he's handling it well, uh, but it is always a struggle when things just make no reason. You know, they just don't seem to make sense. Uh, why would this happen, you know, after you know, embracing the health message, et cetera, why such a, a, a painful and mysterious uh, decline into, you know, suffering. And so we all have our connection with these kinds of stories, and they can be very frustrating uh, as we try and grapple with what they mean. Um, so Job's activities, let's look uh, just what from his point of view, skipping again most of the prologue. This is in chapter one, but um, uh, it's Job's, Job's perspective. So his, his sons used to go out and hold their feasts, uh, with them, uh, you know, doing things. And, and Job was such a wonderful father uh, that he would offer burnt offerings. Now, uh, some people, when they read this, think that he's actually, uh, you know, receiving uh, through his offerings uh, the forgiveness of his children's sins. I don't, I don't think so. I think he is simply uh, through the burnt offerings, not sin offerings. He is simply doing his fatherly uh, family, you know, responsibilities and praying with earnest concern for his children. Uh, he wants them. He is an intercessor, just as we all can be for our friends and those around us. We can be prayer intercessors. We can uh, ask God uh, to work with them. So uh, Job was the perfect, the model father. He was the model guy. Uh, everyone knew him this way, and he cared for his family, and this he did continually. Job's day. Uh, again, we have to go through Job's day. 
Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them, and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Uh, not, not a good start. Note that it begins with the sons and daughters uh, and, and their activities. While he was yet speaking, that was to the right, now below. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. You can kind of get a pattern. I alone. Just enough to share you the bad news. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three companies and made a raid upon the camels, his camels, and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And above, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, returning to the day, this meaning this is all in one day, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell down upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's a pretty rough day. Uh, I don't think this one can compare to what uh, any of us have experienced. Uh, again, next time you have hard times, uh, remember Job uh, and read his story. Uh, Job is struck fully. There was nothing left at the boundaries of his uh, existence. They were fully penetrated. Job lost everything. The events uh, were not, again, played out slowly, you know, one, one per week, one per month, uh, something like that, where he could sort of adjust. Uh, that was not the case. He had no time to prepare his, his mind, his heart uh, for these events. They happened just boom, one after another, as the text kind of, I think that makes, comes through very clearly. It's the same day of his sons and, and daughters eating together, and one after another, uh, they are crushed under the hammer of uh, cruelty. And uh, Job's heart is, of course, uh, finally crushed, losing his family, which is, of course, uh, the, the most important, not just the animals, but, but his own children. And they are gone, and Job is left. Uh, as I like to, to collect some of the pictures that I found, uh, Job is left there to contemplate this. And what does he do? Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Uh, we are given that he is a good guy from his own perspective, since he prays for his children. He did not charge God with wrong. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is an amazing person. I, I hope you can fathom what kind of person this, this guy really was. Uh, he is an amazing individual. Soon thereafter, though, as you probably know, that was not the, uh, the end of the story for Job. Job was afflicted. Shortly thereafter, we don't know precisely, uh, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Uh, curse God and die. Uh, that's, you know, kind of the, the final, final thorn for poor Job. Uh, you know, imagine when the, those that, the one that is uh, closest and dearest to you uh, remaining, you know, kind of, you know, says, are you sure, you know, you have the right attitude and approach to this? Um, why do you praise God when he has done these horrible things to you? It seemed as if even his wife was ready to sing the doxology. Have you heard this version of the doxology? 
<laughs> all right. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, you know, it seemed like she was ready to blame God from whom all, whom all cyclones blow. Blame him, all creatures here below. Blame him who knocks down church and steeple, who sends the floods and drowns the people. Uh, pretty, pretty discouraging uh, to get this kind of a message. Of course, Job still believed in God. And he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. As uh, C.S. Lewis remarked once when asked the question, Why should the righteous suffer? Why not? He replied, They're the only ones that can handle it. They're the only ones that can handle it. What do you think of that? Is that isn't that amazing? Uh, although difficult, perhaps. But they're the only ones that can handle it. Uh, we'll see. You know, I actually find interesting when I read uh, Job's response to his wife, I, I see him again, uh, not to pick on his wife. Uh, you know, she was used again in the story as an agent uh, to discourage him. But uh, his rebuke is even, to me, a gentle one. He doesn't say, you foolish woman. Uh, you know, it's, you speak as one of the foolish women. He's, you know, kind of suggesting that uh, she's had a short, you know, short-term lapse of faith on her part. Uh, you know, that for the moment she has uh, repeated the words of stupid, foolish women who have no knowledge of the grace and glory of God. Uh, you know, and as I see it, uh, in this general review, you can see something of the sturdiness, uh, you know, and tenderness of Job's faith. Uh, he is here sharing that uh, God is the sovereign. Shall we not receive good at the hands of God and not uh, receive evil? Uh, Job's wife had expressed the all-too-common philosophy that we will encounter, that life ought to be pleasant, and that if it's not, there's no purpose in living. And trust me, if you haven't wondered that, uh, the people you will encounter around you will wonder it. This is the picture. That is the dominant worldview and philosophy in our own day. Uh, if the going gets tough, why bother going? Um, life is, however, I don't think to be lived on those terms, and that uh, Job obviously shares uh, his lessons that, uh, that a philosophy that wants to abandon everything as soon as things become unpleasant is a shallow, mistaken one and a distorted view of life. But uh, that is not the perspective that we will usually find. Um, I, these are actors. Uh, I, don't, I did not look up real suffering people for this, as I understand it. These were uh, those uh, putting on the makeup, but uh, just reminding you. And, and for, for those who wanted to, yes, you know, you can, as a woman, you can try and place yourself in this, this picture as well. Um, is that it, though? That's the question that uh, you're kind of wondering without even really knowing the background, without really knowing the prologue. Uh, were those the tests? And I think that when we read the beginning, the prologue, as we often do, the first few chapters, we're kind of left with that impression that you know, these are kind of the tests, uh, the physical suffering uh, and the material suffering. Take away the possessions. Um, it is clear that Satan's argument has been answered. Again, I know that you know a little bit of the background already. Take away the possessions, even the health of a man like Job, and he still will not curse God to his face. Uh, he still loves God and follows him and serves him and recognizes God's right to do with him as God wants. These were severe trials, and I wonder how many of us would praise God as he did after them. So, again, the question, if you don't really know the background picture, you don't really know what's going on, is why isn't the play over? 
you know, story over, right? Where's the curtain? Why can't I take off my Boyle's uh, makeup and costume yet? Uh, you know, haven't, haven't I gone through enough? Uh, after all, all of this happens in just the first, you know, couple of chapters. This, these are the, you know, the events and the story that we're always given. Uh, why isn't the story over? Why does most of the book consist of something else? The trials are not over, for there is worse yet to come. That is what I would like to suggest. There is worse yet to come beyond the material and um, uh, health uh, problems. There is worse yet to come. Before the book is through, we will see in every level uh, of pride of Job's self-existence will be pricked, some of which he himself was previously probably uh, even unaware. We will begin to see what God is after in Job's life and in ours by this kind of testing. And this is a serious kind of, of testing. I want to, uh, again, uh, you know, kind of ask yourself, uh, was this <laughs> some sort of coincidence? I think I have a slide in a moment. You know, but you're going to be running through these questions, the who am I, what am I, why am I, again and again and again, if you had ever gone through something like this. You know, what, what have I become? What am I? You are going to be struggling uh, mightily uh, with these circumstances. Um, so, summary of part one, and I may uh, blend into the second part. Job has lost not only his children and all his possessions, but he has also lost his health and all the pleasure of his physical life. He has even felt himself abandoned by his wife. But one stronghold remains, the moral spirit of Job, the ultimate reality of his life. Um, how often have we thought of it that way, that we are more than uh, our title, our job title. We are more than uh, the degrees. Uh, many of you are, are you know, probably in school. Uh, we're more than the degrees we're trying to earn. Um, I can tell you, you know, as, as someone going through uh, uh, graduate education, that the grind can be intense uh, as the years roll by uh, and you have objectives in mind. And I can only try and put myself in his shoes and say, what if right now, um, you know, something happened and I wasn't able to uh, complete my degree and, you know, all those years, you know, would they be for nothing if I was not able to use what I had worked for? Um, there was a, a story of, of someone, uh, actually, and it impressed me, uh, you know, again, uh, going through uh, the, the gruels and grinds of, of a doctorate, um, who had worked for his whole life to try and get that elusive doctorate. Uh, you know, he was, he was a theologian, so the doctorate is in, in theology. And uh, it was the most important thing to him. It was his all-consuming obsession. His all-consuming obsession was to get that degree. He, he aspired to be a theologian, uh, and it mattered to him more than anything else. And he worked and worked and worked and worked and worked for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, years, again, it usually takes uh, a while for this to, to happen. Um, you know, starting through undergraduate, you know, uh, the master's degrees and then the coursework and all the languages and things you have to learn for a doctorate in theology. And he worked and worked and worked. And uh, right as he was getting ready to graduate, having passed his exams, pretty much in the situation I am, um, although I, I don't plan to follow his path, uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't quite feel uh, his, his, <laughs> his burden. But he realized right on the edge, on the cusp of finishing his doctorate in theology, he realized that it was too important to him to have that doctorate, that it was too, it was too much of an obsession for him to get that degree, that that's really what he was about. And he was wondering, you know, why am I doing this? 
uh, if I'm really doing it to serve God. And so he quit. He actually stopped just short. You know, all he had to do was uh, finish, you know, defend his dissertation, and he'd be done, and he decided not to, and to just, you know, be satisfied with less, be satisfied with just his master's degree uh, in religion, and to serve God as just a pastor instead of trying to aspire to be a great uh, academic theologian, you know, with the fancier robes and so forth. He realized that what mattered to him the most uh, was actually serving God and not getting the, the degrees. Now, I'm not sharing that with you uh, to inspire any of you to give up your education by no means. Um, I'm just simply saying that uh, depending on who you are, uh, you, uh, we are always prone, um, or always rather, uh, it is necessary for us to um, pause our lives and ask what is the most important. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Uh, why am I studying what I'm studying? Uh, am I really doing it to, to serve God, or am I doing it to, to elevate self? Uh, to you know, f- complete some you know uh, thing for myself. And again, uh, don't misunderstand me to be saying that you should not have personal goals and objectives, and that God does not inspire us to do those things. Are we clear on that? Are we clear? I want to make sure we're very clear about that. But to simply always be asking, am I really living my life for God? Are my objectives, are my personal goals, uh, in harmony with His grander, larger purposes? Uh, can I serve God through my personal goals? Uh, that's that's the question. Uh, that uh, we should be asking. Um, how is our time? We go till about 9.40, uh, right? Okay, I'm actually going to come into part two because the length of them is uneven. Uh, so, Joe, part two, friends and foes, the dangers of common sense uh, theology. And I think that this is a very important uh, issue uh, that we need to address and think about. So, after Job's experiences, where does he find himself? Uh, you know, scraping himself, his, uh, the pot sherds on his body, uh, and thinking. And, of course, uh, shortly thereafter, some folks uh, hear about his sufferings. And it probably was for a considerable amount of time. Again, the, the book of Job does not uh, provide that kind of information about how long this ordeal took. But there was probably some time involved after this one-day ordeal. There was probably a lot of time involved. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to condole their dear friend Job uh, from former times and comfort him. And when they saw him from afar, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they rent their robes and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And I have read some commentators uh, that have suggested uh, that uh, his friends uh, here in their ritual, you know, of, of renting their own robes and sprinkling dust upon their heads, and so forth, that uh, in the seven days that, you know, they kind of may have been doing a pre-funeral for the guy. You know, they really expected him to, to not make it uh, through this. And, uh, you know, they were just kind of, you know, waiting in silence as they expected him to kind of pass away. I don't know if that's the case um, or how uh, his health looked to them, but obviously it was not good. Uh, so whether or not his friends thought he was on his deathbed or not, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, that has been suggested that they were kind of thinking that, you know, let's just uh, wait in silence as, as your uh, miserable existence uh, ends um, because they could see his suffering was very great and that it was really beyond words. But um, they do wait around and uh, they do see Job and uh, obviously a long set of dialogues ensues. Now we are actually at the major thrust of Job's narrative. 
And the trial upon the faith of Job comes not through his physical suffering, but through an attack on his spiritual relationship with God. This is very important. This is very important. It comes through the hands of well-meaning friends. Uh, and that is, of course, the greatest uh, irony of the Jobian saga, is that uh, those who should have been the comforters to Job, and he did need comforting at this time, as much as any person ever could need the comforting uh, words of well-meaning friends. Uh, but uh, that is not the end of it. And, and again, uh, looking back towards the, the earlier parts of Job, uh, and uh, sneak, sneak peeking at the uh, prologue that most of you are already familiar with, uh, what, what does it seem from the prologue are uh, Satan's tests against Job? What's, what's number one, you know, speaking from memory, from your good memories from previous readings? Uh, you know, Satan challenges his possessions, you know, take away this guy's worldly goods and he'll curse you, you know, I, I just know it. Uh, but is that what happens? No. And so what is Satan, you know, round two? <laughs> you know, well, it's his body. It's his body. That's the problem. And so he does that uh, very quickly, you know, just two quick stages, you know, over a relatively short period of time, probably. Uh, and uh, that didn't do it. <laughs> you know, Satan is, was disappointed. But Satan then kind of disappears from the narrative. He disappears from the narrative at that point. You know, he, he kind of is gone. Satan doesn't really appear again. You're aware of this, uh, right? You know, Satan is, is nowhere through Job's. In fact, even Job himself does even mention in his own uh, theology. And uh, there's probably interesting reasons behind that. I'd love to meet Job someday and ask him what he knew and what, he, what had been revealed to him. Have you ever thought about, you know, again, that's where we're kind of going. But what was the theology that Job had in his mind? And uh, what was he thinking about all this? Uh, what was his uh, mindset? Um, so, you know, Satan is not part of it. Satan doesn't uh, appear. However... Um, I would uh, suggest that uh, Satan's final, you know, real assault, uh, his real assault on Job is the third one, the third crisis, where he is not even present. Uh, and the prologue kind of skips over this, uh, but it's actually a, a grander test, something God kind of really wants to reveal uh, that is the real issue. So Satan's assault on Job's faith is the third one, and it's actually kind of absent from uh, the prologue. It's not mentioned, and I think that's kind of significant. It's, it's kind of left as part of the veil um, of our existence because Job, uh, Job, the narrative of Job appeals to our common sense thinking uh, or the common sense thinking of most people and how it presents the, the first two challenges, but the third one is the real challenge uh, and does almost cause Job to collapse, but uh, he does not. I like this picture because um, uh, I chose it for the, the seven days that they were watching him. And you can see on the left, uh, the kind of the eyes of, of one of the friends. Obviously, I don't know which friends these are depicting, but you can kind of see him staring Job down. You know, have you ever thought of yourself when you are in a, a struggling or suffering situation? Uh, and, you, you know, your friends, what are you always thinking about when you're suffering? Uh, when you have hard times, are you, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, well, what are my friends thinking of me, you know? Uh, what happens if uh, you're studying, you know, pre-med or pre-law or, you know, anything, uh, whatever it may be, and, um, you know, word leaks out that you flunked an important exam, and, you know, you can't hide it from your friends, you've worked hard, who knows the reason, I'm not going to say that it was due to uh, lack of study time, you know, or, or you know, uh, 
negligence on your part, and maybe you were sick, you know, who knows, maybe you just did not understand the professor and, and tried your best, but you know, that moment came when something you've worked very hard toward uh, does not come through, and uh, you're always, you know, what am I, what am I going to say to my parents, <laughs> you know, what am I gonna ex how am I going to explain this, um, you know, this is, this is a disaster, this will, you know, cause me a horrible loss of time in my, my you know, academic schedule, or this or that, or, you know, my friends, they made it, but I didn't, is there something wrong with me, you know, you're always wondering, you know, uh, kind of self-reflectively, what's going on, God, I thought, I thought I was following your plan, I thought I was doing what you wanted, why this disaster? Um, why this setback? Uh, and uh, we all have had those setbacks uh, in our lives. Um, you know, myself, I've lost semesters to, you know, getting, you know, miscalculating uh, the required, you know, things that need to be done. Uh, you know, getting the languages uh, finished. Uh, you know, getting theses uh, written. You know, there's always going to be, you know, things that, oh man, I thought I was going to make it and it's going to be another whole semester to write this thing. Ah, you know. Uh, why me? Why me? You know, I thought I had uh, other plans for my life besides, you know, doing this. And uh, so we're always, you know, wondering that. So, so Job, as he's sitting there, um, uh, you know, his, his friends are, you know, the, the people around him are eyeing him, you know. So what's really going on, Job? You know, <laughs> what's really happening in your life? Uh, are you sure? You know, what, what, what's really going on? So I call it the, uh, the seven-day stare, and uh, they sat in silence for seven days before they could kind of gather up their, uh, you know, see that he's not going to die, he's not on death's uh, doorstep, uh, evidently, and so they're going to um, finally speak to him about his troubles. But it is important, uh, as I've been implying, that uh, when your friends when you have a hard time and your friends kind of at first just, you know, what do they often, or what might they do? Kind of just be silent or, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, just the simple stuff, right? But if it, if it kind of comes prolonged, kind of stretches, uh, and they've had time to think about it more, uh, you know, uh, you know, what are they going to start thinking? You know, is, is it really you? <laughs> are you the problem here? Uh, you know, is it, is it really, you know, just bad luck or unfortunate things that have befallen you or... Is there, is there something else going on here, Job? You know, have, you, have you not told us something? Um, Job's friends begin to think that it's something related to Job. And here is his wife and three friends wondering if, you know, maybe, Job, you're deserving. Uh, maybe, maybe this is something that uh, you had coming. You know, I mean, we know you've been a good guy and everything for a long time, but uh, perhaps... Perhaps uh, there's more to the story you're not telling us. So chapter 3 begins several rounds of dialogue between Job and his friends. Uh, and these are very important dialogues. The chapter opens with a bitter lament from Job. Weeks have likely gone by since he was first afflicted with this painful disease. And uh, what's the big guy upstairs uh, you know, doing for you, Job? Nothing. He has left you alone and who knows how long this ordeal is going to go on. You know, this could be a long-term thing. <laughs> you know, the friends are, you know, the longer it carries on, uh, the more and more cemented in the minds of his friends uh, an alternate picture emerges of what might be happening here. Uh, you know, Job is not quite being forthright. Uh, here again are uh, another depiction of Job and his sufferings as his friends uh, look on. Remember, think about it in your own mind, without the prologue, 
because we often, in fact, none of us really have the prologue of our life, do we? How many of us have the prologue of our life? When we have had a problem or a struggling or a suffering, or uh, to point it at our friends, when we see friends, family, struggling, suffering, how many of us know the prologue of their life? How many, you know? Any hands? You know, do you know the prologue of, of uh, you know, your, you know, and, and sometimes we can know circumstances. It's true. Uh, but we don't really know uh, in uh, the divine inspiration mode of Job, we don't really know the full prologue of exactly what's going on, how personal this assault can, might be, etc., etc. We don't know. Job doesn't know. He knows nothing of the prologue. And so weeks, months later, baffled, buffeted, tormented with physical misery, he now opens his mouth with a tremendous cry in, in which he longs for what? Death. Job has had a, a really, really rough go of things. I don't think that any of us really, uh, and again, you know, back to, to my grandmother, it is, it is very difficult to watch this when you don't uh, know why and you don't know what to do, you don't know how to adapt, you don't know how to comfort. Um, and uh, again, the, the, the rhyme, the reason to it, 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 is, it seems mysterious. Uh, you know, why, you know, after, uh, you know, starting to follow the health message, why do these things happen? Why, do, you know, why did so-and-so get cancer, etc., when they were doing everything right? Uh, why do these things happen? It, it can be an extremely, extremely difficult, um, extremely difficult situation. What do you do? <laughs> what are you left to do but, but to cry out? Job has three questions when you read chapter 3 as the narratives begin, and they're important ones. Think about them. And you can read, uh, follow along in Job. I hope you have your Bibles, of course, with you uh, at some point. But uh, he basically asks, why was I born? <laughs> why was I born? Why didn't I die at birth? And why can't I die now? Why can't I die now? Would you ask those questions if what had happened to Job happened to you? Why was I born? Why didn't I die at birth? And why can't I die now? It seems like, uh, you know, it would be a preferable choice to have answers to these questions. And uh, when we see the suffering around, those suffering around us, we might ask the same thing. Although Job comes very close to cursing God, as you'll note in Genesis, I mean, sorry, in Job chapter 3, he never does. He does curse the day of his birth, and he curses what God has allowed to happen. And you can see how the pressure is increasing, the pressure is building. Job is beginning to crack. You know, once the physical suffering comes, um, and it's unceasing. The anguish goes on. 
I do not think that Job was actually contemplating suicide when he asks if he could die. He is simply asking God to let him rest. And, uh, you know, for family members that might be struggling or suffering, we might wonder the same thing. There is no purpose to life, he says, when it is not enjoyable. And I think that most of us can probably agree, especially if we were in his kind of suffering. There is no purpose to life when it is not enjoyable. Have we ever asked that question uh, or wondered, uh, you know, if, if life, you know, really, you know, if, if there's not a, something to enjoy about it, then, then why live it? That is a very common argument and one of the reasons we have been given, I believe, that this book to help us understand that life can still have a great deal of meaning even when it looks absolutely useless. And uh, so Job begins to cry out and uh, ask God, you know, or ask whoever's listening, his friends included, why what's happening is happening. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.